This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you're here today. We are doing week two of this bonus series sponsored by the Under Armour All Out Mile. And today you're listening to episode 333, and my guest is Jenny Simpson. Jenny Simpson recently announced that she is going to be running the Cherry Blossom 10 Miler, which is a huge shift in what she normally does. If you follow the sport of running, then you know that Jenny is well known for being a 1500 meter runner. She's a three-time Olympian. She won a bronze medal in the 2016 Rio Olympics. She has two world championships medals, one being a gold, one being a silver. And Jenny's actually, she's been on the podcast before. So if you don't already have an introduction to Jenny and her story, go back and listen to the first episode we did. She was on the show in June of 2019, episode 188. So go check that out. All right. And this conversation is super casual at the beginning. You know, on this podcast, I used to just hit record from the second the person was on the line. And since I've stopped doing that, but I thought, let's go back and do that again. So you get a little casual chit chat at the beginning of the conversation before we dive into the deeper topics. But we talk about her decision to run the 10 miler, the Olympic trials. We talk about social media. We kind of go all over the place there. And Jenny is such a fun interview. I want to talk with her every single week. I don't know if she'd ever agree to be a regular guest, but that would be so fun. And you'll feel that from the conversation as well. She just has so much wisdom to give, not just about track and running, but just life in general. All right. So I mentioned at the beginning, at the top of the intro, that this episode is sponsored by the Under Armour All Out Mile. If you haven't signed up for that yet, definitely go do it. It's free and it's gonna be fun. So what you do is you sign up. It's a one mile virtual race against yourself or you can get some friends and do it with your friends. But once you sign up, Under Armour provides you with a 30 day training plan to see if you can get your mile time down. So you do a benchmark mile and then 30 days later you run your all out mile. Uh, The time frame for that is October 1st to October 11th. I'm actually super pumped about it. I'm gonna follow the training plan because I'm not training for anything right now. I'm just sticking to mostly my 30 minutes of activity a day while we are still transitioning here with our move. And so this seems like a perfect challenge for me. But even if you're marathon running, if you listened to my episode last week with Will Lear on the show, where we talked about the Under Armour All Out Mile a little bit, he talks about why it's good to train for a mile even when you're marathon training or training for longer distances. So you can go to uaalloutmile.com slash all have another to join my team. So once you sign up, find team all have another and let's make it so that our team is the biggest team out there because you can win up to $15,000 
for a youth sports charity of your choice that Under Armour will donate that money to and the charity I've chosen, if my team is the largest, is Girls on the Run. So go sign up and let's see what we can all do for a mile. UAalloutmile.com slash I'll have another. Okay, friends, I hope that you are enjoying this extra episode this week and that you will enjoy this conversation with Jenny. <laughs> you must have showered because you said you were trying to decide if you were going to get fixed up before oh, the call. I said, yeah, I, I was like, I have to be like presentable. I'm very tired. We had a big session this morning, but it was good. It was my last hard one. Um, I, I don't know if you are like this. My, my coach Heather thinks this is really funny. I shower a lot without washing my hair. Um, and so like the reason I have a braid half the time is because I haven't washed (laughs) my hair in three or four days, not because I'm like particularly fond of braids. (laughs) So I have not washed my hair, but it, it works. It works. And then I just have a good warm up to put over, um, the rest of myself that's not put together. (laughs) I love that jacket. Oh, thank, so do I. I really like it. I, yeah, they've done a good job with some of their podium pieces over the years. Um, I am an everyday, sometimes twice a day showerer. I am obsessed with showering and I always wash my hair sometimes twice a day. And it's just because I like the ritual. And I know you're not supposed to wash your hair every day, but I just break all the rules. So Jason's sister came to live with us during the pandemic and she was here for several months and she's exactly the same way. Like she would, she loves going in and being in the shower, doing exactly the ritual. Yeah. And she would, she would shower at least once and sometimes twice a day and wash her hair and brush her hair. I, Jason teased me that I just like being dirty. I don't <laughs> like being dirty, but I don't love it. I'm like, this is such a waste of time. Like when I go to shower, I try to get in and out as fast as possible. And it was a really funny, uh, it was a really funny thing for me to like live with a person that was so different from me. Um, yeah. And then I just kind of realized like, I, I really do not focus on cleaning myself and maybe I should like <laughs> up my game a little bit more. <laughs> I think as long as you get a good rinse, like you sw- rinse oh, the sweat yeah. off. I think it also depends on the kind of hair that you have. Like I have pretty thin, easy hair to dry. And so if you yeah. have like a bigger head of hair, okay. like a more full yeah. hair, it's harder. So it takes so much more work. My hair takes forever to dry. That's a big issue. Um, and also I think a lot of runners and you might have experienced this at some point, but you're tempted by the fact that, you know, you're going to work out in a few hours. Yeah. So like I come home and I don't, if I don't shower right away, I'm like, well, I have to double in four hours and three hours and two hours. I'm like, I might as well just stay gross until then. I probably would if I were you. I always, cause I will like, and we'll just let this audio roll so people can listen to us talk about showers. Um, I always, I usually run in the morning and then I'll lift at like noon or something. And I will wait until noon, my, that session to shower for the day. Um, but if I'm not showered by like three, I start getting antsy. Like I start feeling like my day is not complete and yeah, it's kind of a big obsession. (laughs) I got into gardening over the pandemic. And I think part of the joy and the attraction to gardening was that it was something I could do without having to shower in between my runs. Uh-huh. Oh, right. Because you're outside <laughs> so, getting sweaty anyway. 
Exactly. I go for my run and then I go outside with my dog and then I would go around and I get my hands in the dirt and I water and stuff and two or three hours can go by and I don't have to go take a shower. Are you breaking <laughs> resting rules though? Oh, completely. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Like, I need to shower so that I can lay down and take a nap after a hard session. Because I feel like gardening can be pretty labor intensive. It can be. And okay, the majority of my gardening is me watching YouTube videos of other people gardening. How to garden. So yeah. I, yes, I am to gardening what most people are these days, it sounds like to video games. Like I just watch other people do it and then imagine that that's me gardening. <laughs> but I also really enjoy going outside and feeling like the the pace and the intensity is like zero for me. Like sometimes all my entire project will be like filling up a bucket and then walking across the yard and then slowly walking back across the yard. And then, I mean, I really take it at a really slow pace. I have hopes and dreams, like big hopes and dreams of a nice garden. And I did one one year, probably 10 years ago, and it was great. And then I could never recreate it. So I gave up. But now we've moved from Indiana to North Carolina. And I actually interviewed someone and we talked a lot about gardening. She's a gardener. And she was like, you live in the best environment for a garden. So now I feel like I need to do it next year since I've moved to North Carolina. Yes, you need to do it. And you need to make a video of it so I can watch. Okay, (laughs) I'll teach you what I've learned. Um, all right, friends. Well, we are talking to Jenny Simpson here on the podcast who you heard in the intro. I introduced you there. Um, but welcome to the show, Jenny. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I decided to leave in our little small talk at the beginning. Sometimes I don't do that. I used to always do it when I first started this podcast. I would always leave the small talk at the beginning. And I think I might venture back into that. That's where like the actually interesting things happen is like at the very beginning on the on ramp and then at the very end when you're getting ready to say goodbye. It's always the worst when you stop the recording though and then the guest says something really good. (laughs) Yeah, we do that just to get back at you guys. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, Dax Shepard with Armchair Expert, he always gets it rolling right from the start. So maybe I knew what I was doing five years ago when I used to do that. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, Dax probably learned from you. He did. He took notes from my podcast. So, all right. We are having you on because you just announced you're running the Cherry Blossom 10 miler. That's exciting. Yeah, it's really different. Really new. It's a little bit of a bob and weave in my career. Um, And, and I'm just, I'm just really excited about it. Um, It's a huge jump. Like you're going from 15 to 10. (laughs) 1500 to 10 yes, miles. I'm going from one mile. I'm going to try something that's 10 times as long and I'm anticipating will be 10 times as hard. Um, but I, this is the first race that I can remember where I really, really feel zero pressure. Mm. Um, I think my coaches were hoping and wanting me to do something that would be quote unquote fun. I mean, when you have a person that is this, I'm talking about myself, this intense, this driven, this motivated, um, what I think is fun might look different <laughs> from how other people describe as fun, but I really did take that to heart and think, okay, what would be something that I wake up in the morning and I get ready to go to practice. And I, I think the, there's no burden to this, you know? Um, and, and the 1500 meters, not, it, it doesn't just have that because, oh, I have such great high expectations of myself, but also because I am constantly comparing myself to 
the younger version, right? So since I've been doing the 1500 meters since 2011, I mean, even really before that, uh, I have all these really great years that add up to this really fun and awesome career that gives me a lot of confidence, but it also is this really great and excellent uh, um, drawer full of workouts that now I have to compare myself to. So getting ready for the 10 miler, I thought, I'll just be doing workouts and doing runs that I have no previous version of myself to compare myself to. How did you pick this race? Why did you choose Cherry Blossom? There, I wanted to do a road race. I wanted to, again, like back in the spirit of what would be fun. Um, I was, I was intrigued by the idea of going back to the really fun community centered, you know, my introduction to running um, doing a road race. And I've also had so much fun watching Jason road race over the years and, and running my own like pseudo road race, trying to get to all the spots to cheer for him. Uh, so I was, I thought, okay, what would be different, but familiar and something totally different, but really familiar would be road racing. Um, and when I brought that up, I don't remember if it was Mark or Heather, but one of my coaches said, well, there's this USATF championship. It's a course people love. It's DC. Like that would be fun. And the truth is, I don't know that we even really discussed or considered other races. It was just kind of right. It, it was correct on the calendar. You know, it gave me a good amount of weeks to shift and prepare. Uh, and when they suggested it, I just said, okay, let's do it. And never really looked back. So you brought it up to them. I brought road racing up to them. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see, I, it's not a secret that I run more mileage for a 1500 meter runner than probably most people. Um, I mean, I came into college with my, I mean, my goal as a Colorado Buffalo is to be the greatest 5k Buffalo of all time. Like I wanted, I had Sarah Slattery's 5K school record pinned on my bulletin board my freshman year. Um, that's just really what I wanted to be. And I, I tease Mark and Heather sometimes that I'm still, I'm still waiting to be a great 5K <laughs> athlete. Um, I never really trained specifically for the 5K in college. Um, I, I had some early success in the steeple. So ran the steeple through college, um, had you know excellent PRs at the 3K and the 1500 meter distance. And then as a pro, obviously, uh, went on to the 15. So I'm, I'm running all this mileage still waiting to be a distance runner. <laughs> and my coaches haven't gotten to it yet. Um, and so uh, I, I think I have a base there. And I'd love to see it put kind of to proper use. Um, and, and with that, I'm at an age, too, where I think I am ready for something fresh. I'm ready for a new challenge. Um, but I'm still at an age where I think I have really great running years ahead of me. Um, and one of my fears, not fears, but one of the considerations was just if I stick with middle distances really for the next few years and don't even try uh, road racing or something longer or even a 5K, like I've mentioned, um, I, I might run out of years to do it really well. Mm-hmm. And I want to give it a try while I'm still kind of not just the age, uh, like physically, but also like mentally still able to give running, um, you know, all of myself and, and really give it what it deserves to, to do it well. I think we talk about age a lot, but we don't talk about the mental part a lot. Like, 
are you, yeah, physically your body can still do it, but mentally like you've poured so much into this for so many years. Like how many years can you keep pouring? Yeah. And the intensity can only last for so long. And I'm really lucky because I've been able to keep it at a really high level and execute at a really high level, but it does wear on you um, mentally and emotionally because it is a lot. It is a lot to have to execute it at just such a high level. And it's fun because, I mean, I know now it's becoming kind of popular for people to talk about flow state and, you know, you're getting into like Uh this rhythm where you just know you can crush it every time you go out there. And I live for that. I feel really lucky. I've, I feel like I've, I've lived that for years, like stretches that were years long. Um, but you can't live in that 100% of the time. So trying to get into that rhythm where you know you can crush it and time it right every single year. Um, I mean, I didn't get it right this year. But I, I look back and I think I can't believe we got it right as often as we did. Um, and I think this year is kind of an indication that uh, I needed I needed something a little bit fresh. You know, when you mentioned flow state, I think of flow state as like a moment in time. So like a particular race when you're in the flow state of that race. I guess I don't normally think of it as like seasons of time. I definitely, yes, you're right. I mean, the, the idea is, I don't know, flow state, runner's high, whatever, you're in this run and you're just, you feel great. You know you're running as well as you've ever run and you feel like mentally you can just execute at a level that um, it's like Jonathan Livingston Siegel. Like there's no limits to you. You can just fly and twist and do whatever. Um, and, and physics has no uh, has no boundaries for you. So that's that's true. But I guess I, I have an idea that there's also this macro level, this overarching level where you're in a rhythm um, where what it takes to be good is no longer a chore. It's just you wake up and you know what it takes and and you're so in that groove of that rhythm. Um, I kind of call it, <laughs> I kind of jokingly call it my monk state because I kind of recede from the rest of the world and I have this rhythm to my running life um, that, I mean, I even don't interact with the, the friends and family kind of immediately around me to the same degree um, because I'm just giving running 99% of my attention so and I'm loving it. Everybody excluding Jason probably. <laughs> Yes, he's here as a, as an observer <laughs> of, of all of the the crazy monk life. But no, he's he's here and shares a lot of, of that rhythm with me. Hey, friends, a quick break here to thank Beam for supporting this episode of the podcast. If you are looking for a hydration line, look no further than Beam. They have an amazing line of recovery products, Elevate balance, elevate energy, and elevate recovery. My favorite is the recovery. I take it after every single hot and sweaty run this summer. It is so hot, 30 minutes, and I need some electrolyte replacement in this heat. It is delicious. It has this like fresh lemony taste, and it's just more fun than drinking plain water. Plus, when you sweat a lot during your workouts, you need to replace the electrolytes you've lost. So, I highly recommend checking out Beam for that. And the other product of theirs I recommend is their Dream Blend. It is a sleep supplement and it is a delicious blend of sleep enhancing vitamins, minerals, 
nano hemp and more. I do want to note their hydration products do not have the CBD in them, just the dream blend. So check it out. Go to beamtlc.com and use the code another, and that will get you 15% off your order. That's beamtlc.com. Use the code another, and that will get you 15% off your order. All right, back to the show. Um, I'm curious, like, what those rituals, maybe that's the word for it, look like for you when you're in those states, when you're just, you know, because you, I've heard you talk about taking breaks and how important that is for you. But when you're in the flow, what are your rituals? Like, when you wake up in the morning, what is the first thing you look at? Well, I did a few years ago, I took a, a course on meditation and really enjoyed it. And so some, t- some mornings I wake up and the first thing that I do, I'm not a morning person, so I don't like getting up in the morning. And I found one of the things that meditation does for me in the morning is it helps me make that transition from sleep to awake. And it kind of condenses that experience so that once I am, my feet hit the floor, I mean, literally, like I'll wake up. And then I sit up in bed and I meditate for 20 minutes before I get out of bed so that when my feet hit the floor, I am awake and I'm aware and my brain is working. Um, I also am not a heavy caffeine user in the morning Um, and not because I have any strong feelings about caffeine, but I can't stomach coffee the Mm. same way that people can before Mm -hmm. runs. Um, So sometimes I'll have tea or something, Um, but it, it is hard for me to get up and be ready in the morning and, and roll out of bed and do a run. So um, often, oftentimes the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning, especially if it's an important session or something, um, is I'll meditate, not necessarily for 20 minutes, but meditate for a little bit, condense that transition time, and then my feet hit the floor and I'm ready to go. Um, but these days, the first thing I do when I get out of bed is I take my dog out. <laughs> and so that's a really kind of fun ritual. And, and it's a less lonely experience than for 10 years when I was waking up in the morning and in a dark house, I was kind of making my breakfast and getting ready for the day. Um, But I have, you know, I really believe in taking certain parts of your life and dialing them in. So you never have to think about them. And I have a little corner um, section in my kitchen where I have my tea and jelly and bread. um, And I have, toast with jelly and tea with collagen and milk every single morning. Like I never make a decision about what I'm going to have for breakfast before my run because I know that works for me. There's a little bit of sugar, a little bit of protein, a little bit of caffeine. Um, I know I can stomach it. And I've had that breakfast every morning for probably 12 years (laughs) of my life, (laughs) except, you know, the odd instances where uh, I'm either taking a break or I'm meeting somebody for breakfast or for coffee or something. So, um, so yeah, I do that. And then I do a few stretches, get my running clothes on. I have a totally separate closet that's just dedicated to running clothes. Um, not, I mean, part of it is that I am so spoiled. New balance is amazing. And I have that many running clothes uh, and shoes, but also I think it's really been good for me. And I've done this for a long time to like have a physical space that's dedicated to my job and then a physical space that when I'm getting ready to go out with friends or something in the evening, I don't have to like sift through all my running clothes to get to something that's like normal clothes. Um, So I like the physical separation of those two. Um, 
And, and then I, I head out, I drive to practice or I go out the front door and, and get going. Do you, and you have second breakfast, like big breakfast. Oh, yeah. I have second (laughs) breakfast. I have second lunch. I also have second dinner, which is usually ice cream. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Why call it dessert? We'll just call it second dinner. Yeah, that's right. Um, so you said you are known to be a high, high mileage, 1500 meter runner. What is that for? What does that look like? So at the end of my college years, I was around 70 to 75 miles a week. Um, and that was in 2009 and 2010. So a while ago, and I've floated there and then up from there since then. Um, I don't know that I've ever had a stretch of time where I've been much under 70 miles a week, um, up to, up to 80, 85, but that's kind of the sweet zone for me. Um, that is high week. Yeah. Yeah. My legs have a lot of miles in them. (laughs) I think I'm trying to think what other 1500 meter runners I've talked to that run high mileage like that. Maybe Brenda Martinez. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Brenda. She's, she's probably a good example. She's, she also trains really differently. I don't know a lot about her, um, day to day, but I do think she, she puts in a lot of miles. Yeah. Cause would you think would average be like, do you think most people would be like 50 ish for 15? I have no idea, but that sounds, I mean, I, I think serious running 60, like to yeah. me, I feel like 60 is like a solid, like I do this more than just uh-huh. every other day for fun. Yeah. Um, and so I would think, but I mean, my perception is skewed, right? Cause I've been doing so much for so long. <laughs> yeah. And it's all dependent on like who's injury prone and all those good things like that. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and that's another thing to bring up. I am not a person that cross trains. And so, um, and, and it works really well for some people. It's something that I have fortunately never really had to have as a regular part of my training. Um, and so all of, all of my training is contained inside of that kind of weekly mileage. Um, I don't have a swim day or a bike day or, or those sorts of doubles. Okay. So 10 miler, a lot of us are big marathon fans here. Are you like, is that something you're ever considering? I am definitely a marathon fan too, <laughs> like spectator wise. <laughs> um, I mean, it, I mean, it's a question that people ask all the time. Uh, it's fun when I'm sitting here in like clean clothes and my workouts over to fantasize about the marathon. And then when I watch my husband do them or my teammates do them and they've got five miles to go, I think, no, like <laughs> I'm never doing this. Um, so I oscillate. I mean, I, I would say that the door is not closed on that possibility, but when I agreed with my coaches that we were trained for this 10 mile run, um, this 10 mile race, I, I articulated out loud and let them know and made them agree. This does not mean <laughs> that I'm running a marathon. I am not committing to a marathon. I'm not committing to a half marathon. Um, I want to do this, um, and, and kind of see how it goes and just do it and enjoy it and do it for fun and not have even time or place expectations. Um, and then we'll go from there. Um, do you think Mark and Heather, your coaches, do you think they want you to run a marathon? Um, I think they really want me to get in the groove of something that's fun again. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm not trying to avoid the question. I mean, they, I think they would love to coach me in whatever I think is great. Um, but if they, uh, they do not, I know 100% they do not 
want me to run a marathon enough to try to talk me into it. Mm -hmm. I think they definitely say, if this is something you want to take on. Um, and then I have, I mean, I have an enormous amount of respect for my coaches for, for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons I really appreciate and respect them is that I ask them, it's a marathon, something I can be good at. And they say, we don't know. Mm. And I really respect that. I think it's so easy for people to say, of course, you'd be great because you're great at running. Well, I mean, marathoning is basically a different sport from what I do now. Um, so you can, I appreciate that people have that kind of faith in me. But realistically, the people that have to do the work, the people that have to put together the training, um, we don't know if it's something that I would be really good at. So um, I know that they have, or I, I'm, I'm willing to share that they have encouraged me that if it's something that I want to do, no, I mean, obviously, I know it's going to be a lot of work. Um, but don't go into it saying or thinking it's, it's just going to come. Yeah, you might, you might leave something you're great at to try something new, and you might not be as good at that. Um, and so if I ever did a marathon, I would go in with that frame of mind. And it's always so hard to know too, with that first marathon, if you can get it right. You know, you could end up yeah. being a really good marathon, but getting it right on the first time, like what Molly Seidel did was like out of this world. And some people do get it right the first time, but there might be like this nutrition, whatever it is, and you have yeah. to give it another shot to know. Exactly. And and that's, I mean, honestly, we're talking about the marathon, but that's how I feel about the 10 mile. I I do not know how it's going to go. And I, I think people, so I, I, I shared with you earlier that I'm surprised how intrigued people are by this. But when I do think about it, I think the thing that's intriguing about me specifically running a 10 mile is that nobody knows how it's going to go. And that's interesting, right? Like even I don't know how it's going to go. I mean, the, the, long, the, the longest race I've ever raced, like I've done long runs, but the longest I've ever raced is an 8K cross country for, for wow. cross country I mean, I've never done anything like this. And so when people ask, you know, what are your expectations? What do you think you could do? I really, really, really don't know. <laughs> and there's so many things that, that happen in a road race um, that make it so different from the track. Like on the track, you can do a workout that some, it, it, the sum of the workout is your race, mm -hmm. right? You can do four times 400 really hard and have an idea with a minute rest what you can run at 1500. Um, and then you also have pristine racing conditions with spikes on. Um, and you can go out and time trial things and kind of take over and, 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 and run the effort that you want to run um, kind of with everyone else in the race as an aside. In road racing, I don't know. I mean, I don't know anything because I haven't done it, but... <laughs> being an observer and a fan and a spectator of road races, the road conditions, the course conditions, um, you know, whether it's hilly or it's flat, and then also the pace of the pack, all of that factors into, you know, the early stages of your race and your effort in a very, very different way than it does on the track. And I know that without ever having done it. And I know that in the middle of the race, I'm going to be learning how to road race you know, I'm going to be learning things new, even in the moment. So, um, I have no idea how it's going to go. Um, have you done some, like, I'm sure you've done some due diligence. Like, have you looked at the start list? Have you looked at the course records, things like that? Oh, of course. I mean, I know that the course record, or I mean, I, I know that the American record and world record are 
5123. Okay. I think we're close to there. Anyway, it's 508 pace. Okay. If I go and run miles on the track, 508 pace is so fast. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) that's amazing that somebody ran and granted I'm up at elevation and, um, and it's, it's different when you're on the track, but I don't know. I mean, 10 miles at 508 pace, mad respect for that. Um, and, and so I can only do so much to really understand what that would even mean for 10 miles Mm -hmm. because I'm not going to the track to do, you know, five times two miles or, or 10 times a mile, uh, to try and, to try and recreate that experience. So, um, we've done some sessions and, and to your point, like, I know what the course is like, I know what the elevation map is like, um, from like seeing it on a piece of paper. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I don't really know. Um, so of course we're going to do everything we can to be as prepared as possible. But, um, like I said, I really anticipate that I'm going to get to the end of the race and say, I learned so much because my, my level of exposure to this experience is just so small. But it's, it's like you're now you're a student of the sport again. Not that you haven't been a student of the sport, but like, you know, the 15 so well, and now you're like going back to school for this. No, that's a perfect way to describe it. And and one of the things that's been really fun through this process from the trials, making this decision and then training for the 10 mile is that the person in my life right now that is the greatest expert of this sort of thing is my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, even my coaches, they coach people on the track primarily. I mean, they've had marathoners and had a lot of success coaching people on the roads. Uh, but if you had a scale, I mean, their, their coaching experience on the track far outweighs the roads. So the person with the most practical and most recent experience is my husband. Um, so he's been doing a lot of my training with me, which is really fun. Um, but he's also spoken up and like shared some of his ideas and his learning a lot more freely than he has in the past. Um, because you know, when I'm getting ready for 1500, I'm the expert, uh, even when I'm getting ready for the 5k on the track or something, um, I'm, I'm definitely the expert on that. So it's been fun to like have him, uh, weigh in and have an opinion about some things. And he's shared some insights with me. And the major, major one is that he thinks it's going to be hard for me over time to learn how to be patient. Mm. You know, this is a long, hard effort. Um, and, my racing brain is, Mark says, and I think this is such a great, now, like a, a, a great comparison, but running the 1500 is like, is like being in a car crash. Like it starts and it's crazy and it's difficult and then it's over before you know it. Like that's what the 1500 is like. And it's just so hard and it's so intense and you think you can't make it to the end and then you do and it's over and it feels like it was over so quickly. So the 1500 meters is like a car crash (laughs) and a 10 mile is going to be a long, prolonged, um, hard effort where I'm going to have a lot of time to think about why I ever decided to do this, (laughs) why I put myself in this position. Um, and so I, being patient is, is going to be a a big key and he knows that I'm going to have a hard time doing that well. Yeah, that's, that is going to be tough. One of the new mantras that I just heard from somebody else was, this is what I came here for. So when you're at mile five, you can start thinking that like, okay, I still need to be patient. This is what I came here for. I knew I was going to have to endure. Yeah, that's so great. I really like that. Um, That was from Sonia Looney listeners. So I don't want to act like I 
I'm not coining that. That's her her phrase. I saw it on her Instagram feed. And I just, ever since I heard that, I just love it so much. Um, I'm curious, 35, you just turned 35. Yeah, a few days ago. Okay, so I just turned 38. And I wonder, I wonder, you know, the late 30s for me have been like a little bit of a struggle with just accepting getting older, you know? And I thought turning 35 would be that, that point for me, but it really, now that I'm creeping closer to 40, now I'm starting to feel just like, you know, not that my career or anything like that relies on my body like yours does. It's just getting older. Like it's just that. So I'm just curious, have you had thoughts on it? Has it bothered you at all? Do you feel more free that you're 35? What do you feel? Um, I mean, there's a lot there to unpack. I know. I should like lay down on a couch for this one. <laughs> no, I, I, I totally feel you. I know what you mean. I have this really funny experience uh, being a volunteer coach at the University of Colorado because um, I'm constantly around. I'm there's a they're perpetually college age. Yes. With, right. So every year there's a brand new crop of, of freshmen. Um, and 18 looks younger and younger and younger. Totally. <laughs> I remember how it felt to be 18 and it was like, I am an adult. Yeah. And now looking at 18, I'm like, you're a kid, you're a child. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so that part is funny. Um, so I mentioned being around the college students because I feel like on different days, it's an equal, it's a, it's a good balance because it equally makes me feel old sometimes. Um, we were in the van a few years ago and there were the students were having a conversation and I realized there's a solid 30% of this conversation that I fully do not understand. (laughs) Like, like the words they're using, the references they're using. I am so out of touch. And that was a really upsetting thing for me to realize (laughs) that youth, uh, is becomes further and further away and, and how they interact with each other and what's relevant and what they're culturally aware of is really different um, as you age. Um, but then also they they really do keep me young for sure because I have to keep up. I mean, these are the people that I'm, I'm doing a lot of running with and a lot of training with um, and just being a person in their circle, um, I have to, I not have to, but I really want to be able to be a part of their lives, communicate with them, be interested in what they're interested in so that we can have these connections. Um, so there are days where I definitely feel old. Uh, they get off the line a lot faster than I do. And I mm. think, wait a minute, when did, like, actually, when did that start happening? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and then in other ways, I, I, I look at them and I think, I, I can't believe this was so long ago for me and I still feel pretty good. So So yeah, it depends on the day, whether they make me feel old or young. You know, when I mentioned earlier that we moved to North Carolina and we ended up moving to Raleigh, but one of the places we were looking was Chapel Hill. And also I'm from Bloomington, Indiana. So I grew up in a college town. Um, And when my husband and I were driving around Chapel Hill, I was looking around at all these college students and I was like, I don't know that if I, that I want to feel like immersed in this every day, because I don't know if it will like. And I think I'm hung up on age more than most people. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I just talk about it more. But like, I'm like, I don't know that I want to feel that every day, to feel that I'm 20 years older than these kids and in 10 years, 30 years older, you know? 
Well, I, I feel like there's a difference when it's on your periphery, like it's around you all the time, but you're not, you're not in it. Engaging. And so, yeah, exactly. And so, um, I, I was even talking to somebody about this, uh, recently that I have this really unique position, even as like a quote unquote coach, I don't really, I don't write workouts or anything. Mark and Heather are the geniuses. I'm, I'm there just still training and running. But, um, but the way that I do coach is that I'm around them a lot. And when I'm around them, I mean, like I go on long runs with both the men's and women's teams on the run or, or yeah, I go on long runs with both teams, um, at different times, or I go on easy runs or I'll do warm ups with them or I'll come for their workout and I'll do a double. And so I spend several hours in a week with people that age when they don't have their cell phone, mm. they're not plugged in the music, they're not, and it's not that we have any sort of deep, meaningful conversations, but we do have very real interactions and we have these collective accumulation of hours together um, where we're kind of unplugged and, and in each other's presence. So I feel like I do have a different connection to that age group perpetually college age because I spend a decent amount of time with them um, and get to hear what workouts they're nervous for or what somebody said that upset them or what roommates are being jerks. And, you know, I get to kind of be around that. And it's not necessarily something that's arm's length from me all the time. Mm -hmm. I do not miss having roommates. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. I know the no, I don't even know where to start. I know. Like it's so funny. One of the joys of being on these runs with students yeah. is talk about waking up early to go to class and they talk about papers they have due and they talk about terrible roommates or they talk about, and I just think I am so free from all of that. That's what makes you feel like 35 is amazing. Yes. Like, there you compared go. Compared to that, my life is amazing. <laughs> oh, that is so, so true. All right, friends, a quick break here to remind you, go sign up for the Under Armour All Out Mile. Let's get the biggest team out there running a mile, testing our limits, seeing what we're capable of, and raising money for Girls on the Run. Go to uaalloutmile.com slash I'll have another and sign up, join team, I'll have another, and let's see what we can do. I will post my results and share those on Instagram. Uh, Lindsayine626 is my Instagram. Not that you think my mile time is super exciting, but I just think it's fun to share those things. And it'll be also fun if those participating, we can share in the Facebook group. So we have a Facebook group for the podcast. It's called I'll Have Another Podcast. You can find that on Facebook and we can all get on there and share our results. I'm super curious to see what everybody's benchmark mile is compared to the all out mile. And the cool thing about it is, is we're all going to probably run our benchmark mile uh, before the 30 day training plan when it's hot and humid. And hopefully it'll be a little bit cooler when we do the all out mile. So even if you're marathon training, the Under Armour all out mile is a really fun way to test your abilities and just see what you can do and have fun with it. I know the mile can be intimidating, but it can also be really fun. Go to uaalloutmile.com slash I'll have another and get signed up. All right, back to the show. What's your advice to a young athlete who might be listening when it comes to like the phones and social media and things like that? It seems like you're someone who you post on social media, but you're not living on social media like 
the younger generation, I, not younger generation athlete. I'm talking about athletes that are like, what, a decade behind us, right? Sure, sure. Yeah. I feel like I'm very much, I'm, I'm the perfect age that I was on the cusp. Yep. Like social media arrived when I was young. Um, but I was in college when you still had to have a .edu address to have mm-hmm. a Facebook account. And I remember what dial-up sounded like. I mean, there the people, you know, young people now don't even, they don't even know what that sounded like. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I remember the world before the internet and I absolutely understand the influencer world and the social media world and that sort of thing. Um, I mean, there's, I have a lot of advice about a lot of thoughts about it. Um, I'm definitely not tethered to my social media. I don't even open it every day. I don't have the impulse to open it every day, which I think is a really important thing. Uh, you have to, yeah, you have to do, I think, some work, some detox to get to that point. Um, <clears throat> but at the fundamental level, I think it's really important to have a period of your young life where you are able to discover who you are. And the trouble with social media is that you are so forced to project who you are all the time. And when you put out who you are and you have to brand yourself and then you get tethered to something that isn't ever meant to be a permanent version of you. Mm. You're supposed to discover who you are and have a journey and make mistakes or change your mind or learn something new. And your your freedom to do that should be a step back away from all the different places where you're projecting who you are. And so don't get so addicted to who you're supposed to be over social media. Develop that identity apart from it and be willing to be a changed person a year from now or two years from now and, and think if I've changed my mind or if I've evolved, that's a really beautiful, wonderful thing. It doesn't have to be this this kind of pseudo branding exercise that I did when I was 17 is now permanently who I am forever. So good. Can we do this every week? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've had a lot of runs with young people to think about this. (laughs) Yeah. Did you have to detox or train yourself to not have impulses to get online every day or did you just never fall into it? I think kind of both. I think I've been fortunate that I've been surrounded by really good people and good examples um, that have reinforced who I am apart from it. So, um, and then like running has been such a huge part of my life and my identity. Um, and so I, I have had these anchors that were always apart from social media. Um, I also am somebody that spoke up a lot in class and really dove into my reading and was really interested in school. So I, I absolutely experienced that process of figuring out what I really thought about something after I had been told for years how to think about something. Um, so I, I enjoyed that process through school um, before Instagram existed. <laughs> so when Instagram comes on the scene and, and Twitter and Facebook and all of these things, um, I think, and again, like I have a time every single day when I go out for my run where I'm apart from it which there are people who really have zero hours of the day where their hand is not clutching their phone. Mm. And so, you know, kind of being one of those people that's on the cusp of the change um, and also having a period of time every day where I'm apart from it, I think I I had some uh, built-in opportunities to kind of pump the brakes and realize that what the ritual I had or the relationship that I had with Instagram was becoming unhealthy. Mm. And I'm already a really competitive person and I'm totally fine explaining that 
Instagram does not make me happy. I look at other people and what they're doing and how they're doing. And I instantly, the first thing that bubbles up in me is competitiveness. Mm. And, and I think having those times to reflect on my runs and think about, I'm really upset and worked up over something that really does not matter, or I'm worked up and upset about something that I should be happy for this person. Um, and I'm disappointed that I'm not a good enough person to be happy for this person. Uh, I think I had some moments to kind of pump the brakes and say, this, this is not, this is not good for me. You know, it's really good to recognize that too. And it can be an embarrassing thing to admit, right? You want to be like, oh, cool, Joe, cool. Like it doesn't bother me. Like what everybody else is doing. I'm in my own lane. But I think that it's only human. Like that's, it's just human nature. And it, the Instagram just feeds that beast too. So you have to pull yourself yeah. out. Well, and also like the other, the other thing too, is that I fall victim just like everyone else is to the idea that how many followers do I have? How many likes am I getting? I mean, I post something, I don't know, maybe once a month or something. And I, I check, I'm curious, you know, is this something people are interested in or I want to read the comments and it's not, it's not because I'm interested in what my mom is going to say to me or my aunt or some people feign that, oh, they want to read the comments because it's from their friends that's bull. Like you just want to read the comments and you want to see the likes because it's a dopamine hit. I mean, it really does make you feel good about yourself that people are paying attention to you. Um, and I don't think that's not, there's nothing wrong with you. That's like chemistry in your brain Uh, that happens to everybody. Um, so I, I fall victim to that too. And I think my advice when you, when you are battling that is to think you're never going to keep up. There will always be somebody that has millions of followers. There will always be somebody who has thousands more likes than you do. So be grateful for what you have. Um, and and I was I was I was proud of myself that this came out of my own mouth. But we we were driving. My husband and I were driving home um, after the trials. It was a totally random day. I don't know. We were I probably out running or coming home from dinner or something. And we were driving down this road, and we can see the flat irons and the mountains, and it was really beautiful. And I hope I get this right, but I said, if what you have is enough and who you are is enough, then that's enough. And then that's more than enough. Yeah, if what you have is enough, if who you are is enough, that's more than enough. And when it comes to social media, I, I think you have to constantly remind yourself, what I have is enough. Because this, this comparison and this idea of like tracking the likes and the follows and things like that, um, you will always have someone to compare yourself to that will disappoint you. And you're hearing this from a Olympic medalist, a world championship medalist. <laughs> like you can be the best at what you do and still have those feelings. Exactly. Exactly. I saw I saw your post. I think it was on your birthday. Did you post that on your birthday? I think it was shortly before or maybe it was on my birthday. Yeah. I did end up posting that because I thought this this is good. Like, yeah. This is, you know? I love that. The reason I'm diving into this piece of the conversation so much is I literally last Friday just put out an episode with a friend who is kind of in this like running entrepreneurship world that I'm in that just totally logged off social media in May. She just got off Instagram. And so we basically did a whole podcast on her reasoning behind that. And a lot of it has to do with what we're talking about here. I just listened to Fresh Air with Terry Gross. She's amazing. Plug yeah. for the show. That anyone needs to hear from me how great it is. Um, but she just uh, interviewed, and I was listening to it. I think it's a neuroscientist, but it's a woman who's an expert in addiction. 
and they talked quite a bit on the on the episode about um, social media addiction. But one of the things I, w- I was really interested in was she said, in order to change the chemistry in your brain to 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 actually make a meaningful change towards allowing your brain to like the chemistry of your brain to heal from and and properly rebalance. Um, they recommend abstinence from your addiction if it's, you know, social media, if it's something that, you know, there can be chemical drugs that this is not a good, good recommendation for, but abstinence from social media for four weeks. Okay. And I thought four weeks is a long time. I mean, it's not a long time in your life, but if you say, I'm not going to do anything with social media for four weeks, that's a really long time. Um, and you're never going to, well, it's unlikely that without encouragement, you're going to self-impose a four-week total ban on social media for yourself. But then it also, the reason I bring that up is because I was so fascinated that it takes your brain that long to kind of get past it. Mm -hmm. Um, So four weeks, I mean, you have these accumulated dopamine hits in your brain and it takes four weeks to just get your brain to like give it up and rebalance. So um, yeah, we're, I, I think we're facing something really serious and I really admire your friend that just totally got off it and said, I'm, I'm going to see if this leads to a better life. Yeah. And hard for her because she uses it for her business, right? Like she uses that to yeah. promote her running retreats and things like that. So, I mean, it was like a impact in more ways than just like, oh, you know, for my pleasure of getting on. Sometimes you don't realize it, but it's hard to form your own thoughts when you're constantly consuming and constantly seeing what other people are writing and putting out. And especially when there's these like really big things in the world going on because you're just reading a feed and then you're thinking, do I think that? Do I think that? Am I somewhere in the middle? And so I think it's important to step away for, if nothing else, the reason that you want to be able to form your own thoughts without being so, everything being so noisy. Yeah. I mean, I totally echo those sentiments. It's, it's, it's tough when somebody asks you about a relevant topic and you hear yourself just regurgitating things you've heard Yeah, and realize even in the midst of saying the words are spilling out of your mouth and you realize I'm not totally sure I believe this or I agree with this. Um, I, I think that that's, hopefully that's a moment where, you know, like I said earlier, you can, you can pump the brakes a little bit and say, I'm better than this. Like I'm, I, I can do better than this. Um, and, and whether that means, you know, kind of taking a, a, you know, total step away from social media or a step back, but just enough to say, I can, I can do better than this. I can, I can independently think of these things for myself. I think that's a really, a really good red flag to say, I should, I should reconsider the opportunities I'm allowing myself in a day to quietly make up my own mind. You guys didn't know that this is what I was going to be talking with Jenny Simpson about. I mean, this is what I'll be thinking about for 10 miles on the streets <laughs> of DC. <so. laughs> um, okay. Let's talk about the trials a little bit. I think that anybody who watched the race and watched, you know, what you put out into the world post race and just celebrating the three women that made the team, can really look at you and say, you know, if I were on that stage, I hope that I would treat that experience the same way, right? So I'm just curious your thoughts looking back now that you've hopefully healed a little bit from not making the team. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts? 
two things I immediately want to say. The first thing is it was hard. It, it it's no matter what comes out of my mouth, I definitely was was sad, and it was definitely hard to run that last 400 meters knowing that I wasn't in the race. I didn't cross the finish line and realize, oh, I wasn't top three. I mean, you know, for you know, for a good. 600 meters that this is not going to be, uh, I'm not going to be making the Olympic team here. Although that being said, I came through with 400 meters to go and I looked up and I thought some of them might come back. I can, if I have a total monster 400, um, and, and, it, and actually on paper, if I did have a monster 400, I, I, I maybe could have snuck up, snuck up there. Um, but I definitely didn't have it. Um, so I, so I believed all the way to the end <laughs> that maybe I could pull off a miracle. Um, but so it was hard. Um, the other thing that I'll say is that the the sense of happiness and sense of of who I am and the role that I have to play in this sport and who I want to be in the sport, I'm so glad that it, there's an opportunity for that to be reflected both in victory and in defeat. Um, but it didn't happen on that day. I didn't have the right frame of mind on that day. I mean, who I am today is a process that started, you know, years ago. And so maybe it's totally perfect that we talked about some of the social media stuff leading up to this, because um, it was a little bit before the trials in 2016. And I confided in somebody that I really respect, and he's older than me. And and, um, and I said, I just, I'm so competitive that I I have no space in my life to be happy for other people's success. And so we started meeting and really started talking about some of that stuff, um, not in a real formal way, but in a really informal way. And that started a road for me where I said, I really want to be able to be the best in the world and be as successful as I am. Uh, and still have reserved space in my heart and my soul and my mind to be happy for other people. Because even when I'm on the top of the world, I was not happy for other people. And so um, I, and it's not a zero sum game, you know, somebody else making the team is not me not making the team when you did make the team, you know, and that was the case in 2016. So one of my first uh, real personal victories in my life in that area was when, when I finished the 1500 meters and I made the Olympic team in 2016. Um, I won the Olympic trials and had a great race and was excited to make my third Olympic team. But Brenda had had a fall on the 800 meters. This was her sixth race of the week. She dove at the line and made the team. And the story of our race was her. And I was genuinely really, really happy for her. I was happy she was going to be my teammate. I was happy that somebody that I know that went through an incredible struggle, um, I had just enormous respect for, <laughs> for what she pulled off. Um, and I can look at that moment in my career and say there was a time in my life where I would have felt um, that somebody stole the spotlight and I genuinely did not feel that way. I felt really happy for, her. I thought I've gotten to win a lot of races in my life. Um, I've had a lot of spotlight and she deserves it. I mean, six races at the Olympic trials and after all those meters of racing, she made the team. Um, and so, so that was a, that's, I'll always think of that as kind of a, a, a real growth moment in my life. Um, and it was special too, because, she crossed the finish line, and I don't know if she even knew. I mean, she and Amanda Eccleston were literally diving at the line. They hit the deck. <laughs> and so I look up on the board because I'm looking to see who made it. And I went over to Brenda, and she's still on the ground. Um, and I, and I, I feel privileged that because I was in the race, I was able to, you know, kneel down and say, you made it, you made it. Um, 
and it still like makes me emotional thinking about it because I, I, I was so happy for her. Um, and so what everyone saw at this Olympic trials is a growth in me and a, a maturation process in me that has started a long time ago. Um, and I can, I can honestly say, I mean, part of it is that leading into the trials, I had more information than most people about my fitness. Mm. So I knew that not making the team was a possibility. Mm. In past years, I can honestly say I making the team was not a possibility. Like I was going to make this happen and I had all the tools and I knew I was going to execute to make this happen. But I knew it was a possibility. I knew it was going to take more than any other year in my career to make it um, and to kind of bridge the gap from where I was to where I needed to be. So I had kind of prepared myself. I had even told my team of people that were traveling there with me, you know, my support crew, um, don't, don't worry about me. Mm. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to work as hard as I've ever worked. I'm going to run as hard as I ever have to try to make this team. And I'm, I believe I'm going to make it, but if I don't, I'll be fine. Um, so like, I didn't want to come out and like, people think this is like a funeral to my career or something. <laughs> so I'm sorry, I'm making this really long winded. But when I came across the line, and I saw those three New Balance women hu huddled together, I, I was so thrilled that New Balance did that well, that those three individual women did so well. I was particularly thrilled for Ellie, because I've kind of been closer to her over the years. She and I were roommates in 2019 at the World Championships. Um, so I was really happy for them. And I was happy again to have the privilege to be on the track and there and be one of the first people that got to congratulate them. And I walked out, I went through the mix zone and I did my interviews and stuff, but, um, the team coach, the women's team coach for team USA was standing there and she put her arms around me and told me she was, um, she was disappointed. I wasn't even making, making the trip. And I said, they're more ready. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel really good about that. They're, they're definitely more ready. Um, and, and that's just cause I wasn't fit enough. If I was fit enough, I would have made the team. Yeah. What factored into that? Not being fit enough. Um, well, I kind of have jokingly been saying, isn't COVID the answer to everything? Yeah. I heard you say that in the post-race interview. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of a joke, but it's kind of true. I yeah. mean, our entire world just totally got derailed and, there's so many different ways in which it it changed and shifted and was harder and then easier and then harder. Um, so I, like I said earlier in the interview, I'm really proud of how many times in my career we've timed it right. We've gotten the timing just perfect. I mean, you can't be at this level 24-7-365. So to be at the level to make the Olympic team, uh, you really have to get the timing right. I had some setbacks for sure. I had some injuries. I had some illness. I had some things that, that got in the way. Um, but I just didn't, we didn't get the timing right. Some of that maybe was some training decisions we made. Um, but also some of it is just kind of getting unlucky. You know, when you have an injury or you, you have some sickness along the way, you don't get to schedule those things on the calendar. You kind of have to deal with them as you go. And, and that's the type of stuff that I look back and I say, no one feel sorry for me because I've had what 10 plus years in a row where those things weren't insurmountable to making the team. Um, so the, the luck has swung my way and the fortune and whatever you want to call it has swung my way so many times. Um, and this year we knew, I mean, when I raced in Eugene and I ran four ten, we knew I, I was sick. 
leading into that race. And I decided I've, I've raced sick so many times. Speaking of being 35, you can't run as sick as you could when you were 22. Totally. (laughs) I do think age factored in a tiny bit to some of that, but, um, yeah, I really thought I, I, I'm unstoppable. I can, I can do this. I can run through this. Um, probably delayed some recovery because of that, uh, or just of getting well, but from Eugene until the trials, I had seven weeks and I know what it takes to get into four flat shape. Mm. And even then I thought, I don't know if seven weeks is enough time. And I remember sitting in the hotel room, kind of teary eyed talking to Jason saying, I know I'm good enough at this. I'm an expert enough at this, that I know seven weeks is not enough time. And that's, that's what I'm most, I'm not afraid of the work. I'm not afraid of losing. I just, I just know what you can do in seven weeks. Um, but I put my head down. I did as much work as I possibly could. Um, and, and I'm really proud of what I did for seven weeks. Um, and it just, it just wasn't enough. Well, and like you said earlier, I mean, anything can happen. There could be a massive fall or whatever in the race. So it it wasn't off the table. It wasn't off the table. And I didn't conduct myself at all like it was. I mean, I really cared about getting to the rounds, looking really strong, being really competitive, being near the front. I started to feel like more like myself, you Mm -hmm. know, because I, you know, even when I, I raced in Nashville about two weeks, I think, before the trials, I went straight to the front and said, we, I can't be strategic here. Like I have to really try to win these things. Um, because the bigger test is still ahead, you know? Um, and I did really start to feel like more like myself. Um, and, and I think if it had been, you know, another 406 race, I I probably could have faked it to the finish line and, and made the team, but, but the other women were just fitter than me and, and they were more ready. Okay. So you're doing the 10 miler, but I think I heard you say this doesn't mean you're giving up the 15. You're just this is a great time frame to focus on something fun. Yeah, my coaches are are geniuses. I mean, they're brilliant at what they do. And what part of their brilliance is pacing and and setting up goals and expectations. And so when I came home, one of the things that they cared a lot about was let's let's figure out what the next four or five or six months looks like, and let's not make a career decision. Yeah. Um, I think it's really tempting when you're wounded to make really big decisions in your life (laughs) because, because you're trying to wrestle control. Yeah. You're trying to get control of your life (laughs) when it feels like you're so disoriented and you've lost some control. So, um, instead of trying to grip and wrestle control back, um, you know, we, we all three and with Jason, all four really decided, okay, let's just do something to kind of bridge the gap between now and the winter. Um, and, and, and something that can kind of keep us on a running schedule, um, like actually physically running schedule, um, without making any really huge career commitments. So, um, so that's where the road racing, the 10 mile, like that kind of stuff. And so that's why I said, when I, uh, put up on Instagram that I was going to be running the, the cherry blossom 10 mile this is a really fun thing. I'm going to dip my toe into the road racing world. I'm going to, you know, spend some time splashing around the deep end of longer distances, see what it's like. Um, but this is not a permanent career move. Uh, I mean, like I said, I've never spent a whole season dedicated to the 5k. I've never run a 10k on the track in my entire career. So there's, there's exciting other opportunities outside of just road racing or marathoning. Um, curious. 
So Ellie, Corey, and Heather mm-hmm. all just ran in the Olympics for the first time. As someone who's done that three times, what's your like post-Olympic advice for them? Because I'm sure there's lots of like, you know, post-Olympic blues and like now what feelings and you've done that three times. What would you say to them? I'll give you an honest answer that might not be popular (laughs) or might not be the right, the right thing to say, uh, because some of this decision has already been made, but, um, and, and I'm not advisors in their life, so I don't know what they're doing. Um, but my advice is to, to keep racing. I think after the Olympics, like this is such a huge thing in your life. Um, that I think the blues hit harder if you come, I mean, in 2008, I was a college student. So I had to run the Olympics and I had to come back and be ready for class. Um, And so I've had that experience where you run the Olympics and then it's over and you have to go back to your normal life. Um, And then when I meddled in Rio, I don't, I don't know exactly what the, the dates were, but I think it was just a week later, I was in Paris running sub four at the, at the diamond league there. And between those two experiences, as high as I, as I was after winning the bronze, I think it's really good to, to get back to work. For me, that is, but I'm also, like I've already said a hundred times, like I'm super intense. So maybe that's just a <laughs> thing for me. But, um, but I was kind of uh, a, little bit, a little bit sad. And I mean, like I said, I have, I have, I'm not advising these people. I have no insight into their training in their life. So if you have other things going on, like it's totally fine. So I'm not speaking specifically to Ellie or Corey or Heather um, in this, but for me personally, my experience was the best thing is to like hit it hard a week, two weeks later and just keep racing. And then, you know, and you're also like really fit. You're, you're ready, you know, and you have some time to like live on those afterburners, you know, Um, and, and you have some time in your job to process this really big, huge experience before you come back and like transition back into a normal life. So that's what, what I think worked the best for me. And I enjoyed the most, um, both after Olympics and world championships is like, keep racing, see what you got left. And if it doesn't go great, who cares? You're just in the Olympic games, you know? Um, and, and that, yeah, I have so many fond memories about, kind of having this joy in my heart of what I just accomplished and then enjoying it in the context of being back on the track. Mm. I love that. Um, what are you learning right now post trials and kind of just moving into this semi new for now era? Well, I'm learning a lot about gardening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my husband wants me to learn a lot of more, a lot more about being patient. Uh-huh. So we'll see if, <laughs> we'll see if that comes. Um, oh, that's such a good question. What am I learning? Um, I mean, those two things are real. Um, I think I'm also, oh gosh, that's such a good question. I feel like there's a lot going on in the sense that I, I have been, you know, I'll tell you, I, I'm always reaching to try and learn things about myself. But I think post trials and through the Olympic games, I learned a lot about other people in the sense that I was really, really, really caught off guard how many people cared about me Mm -hmm. and how many people were really proud of me and 
and I don't mean in that sense of like slap you on the back and say you did great kid, you know, um, or chin up better to luck next time. But like these really deeply meaningful messages from, from people either through email or text message or phone calls, um, where people have just like enjoyed my career and just took a moment to express that to me. And it doesn't mean that my 1500 meter career or my running career, or any of that is over. Um, but I, I was really touched. I, I said this in my interview, the sport goes on without you. Mm. And that is heartbreaking. It is hard to sit at home and think I haven't sat at home to watch an Olympic Games since I was a teenager. Um, and, and it was, it was, there were parts of it that were difficult. Um, but it was made so much more fun and so much more, um, I had so much more peace about it because not, it wasn't just these, um, simple kindnesses, but really deep felt like we have really appreciated and enjoyed your career and your career has brought us a lot of joy. Um, that, that I, I don't even know like what to say about it. Like some of those messages, I'm still trying to understand how to appreciate, um, how, how, how deeply that moved me. Yeah. It makes you think like, don't ever hesitate to say what you are thinking in your head about someone else. Right. Like if you, if you have something in your heart that like is encouraging to someone and you think that about them, you want to tell them. I totally agree. And I'm the first one to say, Oh, what do they care? What I think? Like I'm, I, I don't know anything about their life or I'm not their friend or I don't know, you know, what do they care about what I think? Um, or if you are someone that deeply knows and understands a person and you say, Oh, they know that I'm proud of them. They know that I've enjoyed their career. Right. So on either end of the spectrum, there's a reason to just kind of simply write it off or opt out. Um, but Oh my gosh, man, some of the messages that came in. And like I said, I totally was ready. I, I had like guarded embraced myself and was ready that these three women are now the 1500 meter team. And and that's, that's the show. And the Mm. show goes on without you and they totally deserve it. Um, and even the kind things that they said about me and about my career, um, I just, I just didn't, I didn't expect or anticipate um, the kindness that was reflected back to me, and and that has been just a real reward for all the hard work that I've done that I never ever expected. I mean, I know icon is a big word to throw out there, but you've made yourself an icon in the fifteen hundred meter space. I mean, three Olympics is a big deal. I appreciate that, but you're right. Like you can't think that, or I certainly don't think that of myself. Yeah. I mean, you wake up in the morning, and you have what you think is a really ordinary life. And, and I think, I mean, I make my lunch and I pick <laughs> my dog out and I'm growing a garden that totally failed the first time around. And like life is, seems very ordinary. Um, and then every once in a while we moved to a new house about a year ago and every once in a while, one of our neighbors is like, wait a minute, you're, you're like a big deal. Like, we didn't realize that you're. And I think, well, not really. Like to this tiny little slice of the world, maybe a little bit. Um, oh, Truman's saying hello. Hi, Truman. Um, but yeah, you just don't think of yourself that way. And so to have some of that reflected back to me was was kind of startling at first and then really, really, really sweet. Oh. Um, okay, Jenny. I don't want to stop, but we shall. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at my notes. I, 
I know that I talk a lot. So it's like, if we've gone over, it's my fault, not yours. <laughs> no, it's wonderful because I, you get nervous to interview people sometimes just in general. Cause you're like, what if they're not in a chatty mood? You know, like it just, yeah. it depends on the day, like for the person interviewing and the person being interviewed, especially in these long form podcasts, you don't, you don't know what kind of day Jenny Simpson's yeah. having, you know? Yeah. It's, it's very ordinary, having a very ordinary day. <laughs> I love it. So we're not retiring. I'm not throwing that out there at all. But where are your feelings on the topic, whether that's in two years, five years, six years, whatever it is? Like, how do you feel like your soul, your heart will handle that transition? Like away from the 1500 or out of my running career? I don't know. I guess that's, I guess that's two separate things, right? Well, I'll, I'll give a few, hopefully shorter kind of answers. <laughs> um, the first thing is that the running world is facing a, a, a major pivot or, or move with the uh, evolution of the technology of these shoes. Mm. And that's really changing our sport. And um, I, you know, you can, you can have strong opinions about whether it's a good or a bad thing, but um, apart from that kind of normative side of it, uh, it just is objectively going to be a major change. And um, one of my really great friends um, who I love, uh, she worked on my shoes for years and years at New Balance and is now doing other things in life, but um, she articulated it perfectly. We will have um, a mark in time in the track and field world that is BC before carbon and AC after carbon. Um, and, and that's really true. And, and we're in that moment right now, we're in that transition moment or we've kind of crossed over. Um, and there's other things to say about that, but I think that that's going to be a big part of the next few years of my running career, no matter where I spend it, whether it's on the track or it's on the roads or whatever, um, in the sense that what I, have done time-wise and accomplished time-wise is going to become irrelevant. Mm. Um, and and I'm I'm fully aware of it. I don't think that I'm I'm not going to be like simple about it and say that I'm prepared for it. Um, but all of these records, whether it's college records or American records, or whatever, they're all vulnerable because the shoe technology is going to propel people and just you know, we get better along the way, but the shoes are going to um, accelerate that process of taking down these records. So um, yeah, maybe it ends up me looking at what I have left in the NCAA because I have no, I have, I can't go back and be a college student, right? And and prioritizing and saying, which ones do I want to stay the longest? Because they're all going to, they're all going to eventually go down. So that's a big part of what my transition will be is, is just kind of reckoning and understanding um, that, that, Whatever, however fast I ran, no one will care, and and it won't matter. It will seem slow in the future, um, relative to what people are able to do now, and in the future. Um, so that's part of it. And then the other thing is, you know, people encourage me, and I appreciate it by saying, you know, you can do whatever you want. You're you're talented. You're driven. You have all these opportunities. Um, but when you're taking your dog out and getting ready for the day, and you have a run ahead of you you don't feel like the whole world is at your feet. You know, you don't feel like every opportunity in the world is there. And so that having that same enthusiasm for something different and that same drive for something different, um, I'm not, 
I'm not afraid. I wouldn't describe it as fear, but there is this caution in my heart of like what could ever come along other than running that will be this same combination of incredibly hard and terrifying and totally thrilling and fun and worth it. Um, my dad has told me ever since I was a kid, uh, if you're going to be good at something, be good at something that matters. <laughs> and I love that because if, if I ended, I ended up being good at running and me being good at running has, has turned into me pouring so much of my heart and soul and life and hours and mind and marriage and, and relationships and everything kind of pointed towards running for so many years that I'm glad that it amounted to something that matters. Um, and, and like I said, that, that reflection of people saying those kind things back to me about how they've enjoyed my career has really given me a sense that it has mattered. And so that's been really um, precious to me. Um, so what, what looks like that next? I, I have no idea. I, I mean, I know, I, I, I know I'll find something. I don't know what it is. So those are the two big things that first come to mind. And then probably the third is that um, we, my husband and I, we know we want a family. Um, and that is in our future eventually in some form or another. Uh, and I really thought like, oh, well, when I get to 35, I'll be really ready or 36, I'll be really ready. I'll know, um, that, you know, I've done enough in running and, and it's funny how, I don't know, I have a great life. Like, I don't know, you know, I still really do want to run for a few more years and is that okay? Or how do you balance that with wanting a family? So those are the three not in any particular order, but those are three things that immediately come to mind that are going to be a big part of my transition. That's good. Yeah. I always wonder that too. And I wonder, is that anno an annoying question when people ask an athlete, a woman athlete, do you want a family? Yeah. I, I think that I end up talking about it to put people at ease about the question, sure. right? Because it doesn't upset me or bother me. And it's so sweet. So often like somebody will say, um, no, 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 you don't like, that's your choice. Like, you, I'm like, I know, like, I, <laughs> I know that I, I'm not insecure about that. That is my choice and I get to decide. Um, and, and, and that's good. I mean, some people don't have, don't feel that kind of agency and they have too much pressure to, to either have a family or not have a family. So I don't want to diminish or minimize that, but, um, but that's, that's not a struggle for me. It's something that I know that I want in the future. I'm happy to talk about. Um, but I do think that I bring it up sometimes mm -hmm. so that other people don't have to. I'm trying to think, I feel like we probably talked about it the first time I interviewed you a couple years ago, but I don't remember. And I don't remember if I brought it up or you brought it up. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to, we'll go, I'll have to go back and see. <laughs> well, Jenny, I am really excited for Cherry Blossom. And I'm excited that, you know, it's really fun to see someone who is so serious and intense, your words, <laughs> Yes, <laughs> with yes. with their profession and career to take on something that is like different and fun and not that you're not going to put your whole heart and all all the things into it but to just like take that I don't know if risk is the right word but just go for it why not yeah yeah I have no idea how it's gonna go um I told my coaches today my goal is to regret this the least at mile eight or <laughs> regret this as as less as possible to mitigate the regret at mile eight. Like I know I'm going to get to mile eight and think, what was I thinking? Um, and no goals other than that, aside from that. 
Um, but you know, if, if you feel intimidated about the future, my advice is break new ground, do something new. You know, the future is there's, you get one life and I didn't want, um, all of my best years of running to be dedicated to just one thing. And it feels harder than it sounds when I'm articulating it to other people. It has been harder for me to take this risk, um, in reality than, than, then I've made it appear. Um, but then really committing to it and doing the work and hopefully then in two weeks, uh, getting into the race, I, I, I feel so happy about the decision to do something new. Is it only two weeks away? 11 days. Jeez, oh 11 Pete. days from when we're recording this. Yeah. Yeah. It's September 1st. Okay. And then the September 12th. Wow. So that's the takeaway friends. I love it. See, I thought, you know, I thought I was going to contribute a big takeaway with my quote that I stole from someone else about this is what you came here for. But the the takeaway quote is break new ground. Break that new- is so good. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can use that one too. Okay. I'll always, <laughs> I'll always coin it back to you. I promise. Awesome. All awesome. right, Jenny, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Oh, this is fun. It's really a joy to talk to somebody that uh, that enjoys running the way that I do and and yeah, is, is as chatty as me. So thank you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> okay, everybody. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Jenny, for coming on the podcast. Isn't she the most fun and wisdom-filled guest? I love talking to Jenny. You can follow Jenny on social media. She is track Jenny on Instagram and you can follow me. I'm Lindsay Hine 626 over there. You can also find me on Twitter at Lindsay Hine and Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine where we have a group as well. If you are looking for more content from the Sandy Boy Productions Network, make sure you check out the other shows in our network. I host a parenting podcast where I am not the expert, but I interview experts. It's called Why Is Everyone Yelling? That's a weekly show that drops on Tuesdays. We have The Urban Pharmacy with Stacey Heine, which is a holistic living and business mindset podcast. And then we also have The Up and Running Podcast, which is a news-based podcast about elite and professional distance running, as well as The Illuminate Podcast, which shares stories of people doing really good work in the world. So check us out, sandyboyproductions.com. Uh, The website's actually getting a facelift right now. You can find us on Instagram, though, as well. We're Sandy Boy Productions over there. Okay, thanks for being here. We've got another Friday episode, so two episodes this week. Coming out tomorrow with Olympic gold medalist Katie Najau. She was the Olympic champion in the pole vault this year. Uh, If you want to learn more about Katie before you listen to this episode that heavily focuses on the Olympics this year and winning the gold medal, you should definitely go back and listen to her first episode on my podcast, which was recorded in September 2018, episode 142 with Katie Najau. So you can learn more about her if you want a little recap on who she is and what she's all about before you hear about her Olympic gold medal experience. All right, friends, thanks for being here. Have a great day. Go sign up for the Under Armour All Out Mile and join team. I'll have another. We will see you tomorrow.